0: Can I pick, like, any of these? don't know. I'll pick this one. Sorry, Piano Man. <laughs> Welcome to church, guys. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Kendall. Oh, How nice, because I've been feeling so nervous all day, and that's really cheered me up. <laughs> I um, don't know about you, but I've had a very exhausting week. I would say I haven't really done much, but I'm exhausted. Has anyone else had a big week this week? Heads up high. Yeah, wave it in the air. Like you just don't care. Anyway, all good uh, preachers usually have a story or some kind of element at the start of their talk. I don't have anything. <laughs> I've I'm tired, (laughs) Um, so I'm just being real with you right now that I am very exhausted, but um, as I've prepared this message, it's been a really exciting time of hearing what God has to say and what he's wanting me to deliver to you guys today, Um, and I just want to like bring us to this point of we've come to church, some of us may not even want to be here right now, some of us may be exhausted, some of us may have had a really massive week and they're just like, or maybe you've had a great week. Awesome. That's exciting for you. Um, but just put everything aside, take away all those distractions, um, be present here, open your hearts and your minds to what God has to say tonight. Um, and I'll just pray for you guys. So before I begin, dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we have, um, the time that we've shared to worship you and praise you. Um, I just pray as we yeah go into what you have to say tonight, delve into your passage, delve into your word um, that we'll just have a clear mind, um, a clear heart and open ears um, to what you have to reveal to us tonight. Um, I just thank you that you're a kind God, a God who loves us so much, um, a God who is willing to reveal so many things to us if we just pay attention. Um, And I just pray as I go into this talk that you are using my words um, to reveal yourself. Use me as a vessel, Lord. Amen. Cool. So again, welcome. Um, I'm just going to jump straight into this passage. So we're doing Colossians 2 verse 6 to 23. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 to 23. Give me a holler when you've got it. What version? NIV? Cool. Who's got it? Excellent. All right. So we'll start. So, Paul has laid it all out in the first couple of verses that we see here in verses 6 to 8. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ So that's the first part of the passage, but Paul was writing to warn the Colossians of the hollow and deceptive philosophy that may take them captive. There were people during this time that were trying to challenge and persuade the Colossians to make them doubt, to make them doubt their confidence about the truth they had received in Christ. Every single generation of Christians faced the same pressures. They face the same threats. They face the same temptations that try to lead them away from Jesus. Everyone in this room tonight, whether you believe in Jesus or not, is faced with the same threats. It's leading us away from the truth. Now, I seriously have loved delving into this passage and I love what Paul does in this passage. As I've been unpacking it, I've noticed that Paul is not pointing at the opposition because we don't even know who they are. He certainly isn't preparing the Colossians for a verbal battle. He doesn't give the Colossians a rebuttal to use because he knows it's not going to be super effective. Throughout this whole passage, Paul is just pointing at the truth. The truth that we have in Christ. Pay close, close attention to how many times Paul says that it's in Christ because it's important. He knows that he has to address the problem that the Colossians have, and so do we. The problem that we have doubts and worry, and we hold on to those things, and they weaken our faith. They allow the enemy in. You're probably sitting here thinking, well, what does deceptive and hollow philosophy even look like? Paul outlines it so clearly in verse 8. Have a look. He keeps it super simple. It's anything that depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. The world tries to trick us with attractive and appealing-looking arguments and ideas. They may have the appearance of truth, but they're cheap imitations. They're just lies to divert our attention and they aim to isolate us from the truth that is in Jesus. Take a look at verse 9, verse 10, 9 to 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. Now, there is a lot of talk in the world about who Jesus is. Who is this guy named Jesus? Did he even exist? Was he here a teacher? Was he a troublemaker? Was he a lunatic, a blastic or a heretic? Was he a liar? Was he just another God? Was he powerful? Or is he truly Lord? Was Jesus who he said he was? Everyone in the world, at some point in some time, will question who Jesus is. And the devil certainly tries to shrink who Jesus is. He tries to shrink who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for us. He shrinks Jesus so that he can make us question. Especially when we are struggling in sin, the devil shrinks our knowledge that Jesus is even there, that he is actually present. He did the exact same trick with Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, telling them only a half-truth, that their eyes would be open and they would certainly not die. This was to shrink God's glory and his authority, allowing them to be deceived by the snake, so that they may sin against God, even though he was always there for them. Now, the question I have for you is, who do you say Jesus is? We are happy to call Jesus our saviour, because it guarantees our salvation. But how many of us actually claim Jesus as Lord? Often we don't recognise Jesus by the way that we live. Sometimes we don't want to be saved by our sins, from our sins. We only want to be saved from the penalty that applies, which isn't how it works. Our tendency is to speak of receiving Christ as our saviour rather than as Lord. Rather than seeking Jesus every day, in every opportunity, in every decision, in every detail, we are more likely to blame time, busyness and just life for the way that we actually treat Jesus. The way that we don't let him lead as Lord. Lord. In these verses, Paul is reminding us that Jesus is Lord. He's building up the assurance of the Colossians and this church here today by re emphasising the truth of the gospel that Jesus is Lord. He is head over every power and every authority, He is the King of kings. Jesus can be our Saviour only because He is Lord. He had to have unquestioned authority over all powers and evils before he could deliver us from them. We have full confidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And we should show it by the way that we live. But when we don't recognise recognize the truth that is in Jesus, when we don't recognise Jesus as Lord by the way that we live, we open ourselves up for hollow and deceptive philosophy to sneak in. Let's look at verses 11 to 17. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, I always seem to get lumped with the passages that talk about circumcision. I'm not sure why. But through that, again, Jesus, uh, Paul is pointing at Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. He reminds us that our debt has been paid in full. That we are forgiven through his death when we seek his forgiveness. There's nothing more or less or anything that we can possibly add to Jesus. Everything that stood against us, every religious parameter, any sin that we think may block us, everything that condemned us, even death has been taken away. What Jesus did in his life his death and his resurrection, it lacks nothing. He disarmed any powers that had any hold over us. Now we can fall into the trap of thinking that we need to add to Jesus, that we have to gain perfection, that Jesus' life needed more. But that's a trap. It means we truly haven't grasped who Jesus really is and what he did on our behalf. Jesus died on the cross, Jesus broke the covenant, he died to pay the price for our sins and he has covered us with grace. Let's be honest here, the laws, the rules, the religious traditions never had the power to save any of us from our sins. They were only a shadow, a shadow that was never permanent compared to the actual body that was pointing to Christ. When we don't realise the truth that is in Jesus, when we don't recognise what Jesus did for us on the cross, when we don't realise that our debt was paid in full, that we need to keep fulfilling the law, we open ourselves up for hollow and deceptive philosophy to sneak in. Verse 18 to 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes, against, goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notion by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Jesus is the source of growth. You can't earn your place in heaven by being overly spiritual, throwing around christian words, constantly drawing to your spiritual experiences and giving yourself a godlike status. It's also not your job to be a spiritual umpire of someone else's faith. You're trying to take the place of God. We can become self-righteous, prideful and puffed up in that thinking in thinking that our spiritual journey is the bee's knees. Jesus is the bee's knees. Jesus is the truth. We need to grow in our identity as Jesus followers. But that is only through Jesus that we can. Being sucked into this philosophy or worldview that we are all holy doesn't fool God and it certainly doesn't fool the enemy. If anything, it gives the enemy a foothold because he knows you truly aren't seeking God. He knows you're pointing at yourself. He knows you aren't being humble. He knows you're putting yourself above God. He knows you're not applying God's word to your life. He knows you aren't growing with Jesus. He knows that you're easily impressionable, so you could easily be taken off the track. By doing all of these things, or even being a self-elected judge of someone else's faith, you lose sight of your own faith. You start to neglect your own growth. And ultimately, you lose connection with the head, that is Jesus. We can't do it on our own. We need to seek Jesus. We need to seek the truth that is in Jesus. When we don't realise that the truth is in Jesus... When we don't recognize that Jesus is the source of growth and the substance, that he is the head of the body that causes our growth, and that we need to seek him, seek his word, and apply it instead of looking at ourselves as we are the source of strength. When we don't recognize that, we open ourselves up for hollow and deceptive philosophy to sneak in. Verse 20 Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Again, Paul is pointing at the truth. He's reminding us once again that Jesus died for our sins, so we no longer belong to the world. We've been made new. It's reminding us that we need to put Jesus first. Many things are crying out in this world for attention. Alcohol, sex, drugs, addiction, success, promotions, finding happiness, trying to find love, trying to achieve that dream. Self-love, self-care, labelling your identity with something, anything. Belonging, fitting in, witchcraft, mediums or fortune tellers other gods, idols, sexuality, religion, science, even things as simple as social media, diets, popularity, personality tests, stresses of school, materialistic objects. When those things or anything is put in front of Jesus, its only purpose turns out to be leading us away from Christ. Trying to take over the role of Christ. They enslave and they seek control over us. None of these things lead to human fulfillment. They never truly satisfy. They never lead us to who we were created to be. The supremacy, the mystery, the reality has all been answered in Christ. When we don't put him first, we fall back into sin even when we try to place all these rules and these restrictions on ourselves in the attempt to stop, from, stop us from sinning, it's more likely that we'll fall because we're depending on our own flesh rather than depending on Christ. When we don't realise the truth that is in Jesus, when we don't realise that our flesh will continually fail us, when we place other things in front of Jesus instead of depending on Jesus, we open ourselves up for hollow and deceptive philosophy to sneak in. Now, this passage left me with a lot of questions when I first read it. How do we stop ourselves from falling for deceptive and hollow philosophy? How do we recognise that Jesus is Lord? How do we stay in the grace that Jesus' death conquered all? How do we remain steadfast in him and not puffed up by our own minds? How do we keep Jesus first and not be drawn to things of the world? How do we stop worshipping the flesh and see that Jesus fulfills? I know what you're thinking. Good questions, Ken. Tough ones. But let's take another look at what Paul was saying in verses 6 to 8. Let's go back there. Keep in mind that hollow and deceptive philosophy is anything that depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. Keep that in mind. This is as simple as things that are trying to compete with Christ. How quickly can we be sucked in by the world around us? Anything that competes with Christ is a tactic of the enemy to take our attention away from the truth. Take some time to reflect over this. Is Jesus the truth in your life? What's competing with Jesus in your life? What are you being sucked into? What are you depending on in your life rather than on Christ? Now let's look at what Paul says first. There is a clear reason as to why Paul has pointed these things out. And I have a funny feeling that by doing these things that he's outlining in verses 6 to 8, that it will be hard for us to let hollow and deceptive philosophy to sneak in if we put these things into practice. So verse 6 to to 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Naturally, Paul tells us to continue in these things. Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's take a closer look at these things. If there's one or two things that I'm outlining here tonight and you're like, oh, I'm struggling with that or I've been neglecting that, write it down. Put it in your notes. Reflect on it during the week. But he says in number one, he says, continue to live your lives in him. We realigned our whole life to follow Christ. We made that decision. We claimed him as saviour, but let's treat him as Lord. Lord. Living our lives in him looks like being number two, rooted and built up in him. We know that there's only one way to grow, and that is with Jesus. We need to grow in our identity as Jesus' followers. We need to make it a daily choice and an action. Does anyone have plants here at home, like, like plants, like Monsters or that type of stuff? Really? Just James? Yeah, come on, put them up. Anyone got plants? I'm a plant mum, I love plants. Cody's stopping me from buying any more plants, even though his dad's a horticulturist and he can get me plants whenever. It's great. <laughs> um, we never just plant a seed or a plant in a pot and leave it alone. Because let's face it, it will die and plants are very expensive, so we protect it at all costs. We tend to it, we water it, we fertilise it, we put it in a bigger pot if it needs to grow bigger. We do everything that we can to make sure that the roots grow strong. Our lives are exactly the same and they are worthy to God. In the same way, we need to do that by seeking God in order to grow by number three, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. We need to be reading his word, Applying the truth that is in it, in the word, daily. We have a whole Bible, a whole guide just to instruct us. A whole Bible that was written so that we may have life and have it to the full. Are we using it? Or are we neglecting it? When we read his word, apply his truth, we start to see God move. We start to see God more clearly. We start to understand him more and his plans and his purposes. Which means we should be number four, overflowing with thankfulness. As Shaz says to me daily or whenever I'm in the office, we need to have an attitude of gratitude. Can you say it for me, Shaz? Are you here? Can you say it? Say it for me. Gratitude. That's how she says it every time. It cracks me up. But seriously, we need to have an attitude of gratitude. We need to have thankful hearts and thank Christ for what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do, even when it's really hard to see. We need to remember that He is in control, and it's only our earthly response to think otherwise. How often do we just sit and thank God? I can tell you this now, we are asking more of God than we are thanking Him. If our hearts are continually declaring our thankfulness to the Lord, then there would be no room for disharmony, for division, for discord between us and God. No room. No room to question God's glory or goodness. By putting these four things into practice, I can almost guarantee that you will be hyper-aware of the enemy trying to sneak his way in. Putting these things into practice is essential. Let's go through them. I'm not going to read my things, so I'll try and remember them. Do you guys remember them? Continue. Come on. Continue to... Really? Come on! All right, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened by the faith in which you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Okay, we're going to try that again because, come on, all right. Continue to live your? Rooted in, Strengthened in the? Overflowing with? Okay, you guys need to get better at that. We need to put these things into practice. We need to continue our lives in him, be rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, this whole passage, Paul is pointing to Jesus. And it reminds me of a story that Jesus tells to the Pharisees in John chapter 10, verse 1 to 5, if you've got your Bible, flip it to that. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate... In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. This is what Paul is talking about. As people who call Jesus Lord, we need to be enamoured by the voice of Jesus. We need to be continually growing him just as Paul said. Growing by reading his word, applying it daily putting nothing else in front of the truth that is in Jesus and being thankful for what he has done, what he is doing and what he will do. It goes on to say in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We often pull that, that one piece of scripture out a lot and that's why I have pulled it out because I've used the story of the good shepherd. The good shepherd takes care of his sheep and they truly know his voice so they are no risk of being taken captive by hollow and deceptive enemies, robbers or thieves. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the good shepherd and he will look after his followers. But we need to continue to live our lives in him, be rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness, so that when our enemy comes in with hollow and deceptive tricks up their sleeves, we won't be fooled because we will know his word. We won't be fooled because we will know his truth. We will know that he is truth. And the truth is that everything depends on Christ. The truth that we have in Christ. Let's just do one more practice. Can you be a little bit louder, please? Continue, live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened by the faith in which you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Seriously, write that out guys because it's something that you need to practice and I can tell you this now, if the enemy comes and we practice these things, we won't be fooled. We'll know that the truth is everything depends on Christ and that truth we have in Christ. So I'll just pray for you guys as Ben comes up. Uh, Dear Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for um, just the way that you work, the way that you use us as vessels, um, the way that you, yeah, um, allow us to know more of you through the Bible and through, um, yeah, growing in, in our identity as you. I just pray that we put these things into practice, um, that we won't walk out of here tonight from church um, excited for a sausage sizzle. Hopefully we're excited for a sausage chisel But I just pray that we, yeah, continue our lives in you rooted and built up in you, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflow with thankfulness. I thank you for what you have done, um, what you're doing, and what you will do. Um, I thank you that you died on the cross for us so that this is all possible. Um, And I just pray that we just have an awesome time of fellowship and worship after this. Amen.